The word zealous is an interesting word, and there's certainly not a, anything wrong with the word zealous. It's just what you're zealous about, whether it's good or it's bad. So zealous by itself isn't a bad thing. In fact, I enjoy seeing people who are zealous. In fact, I'll just say it this way. I appreciate people who are zealous even if I don't appreciate what they're zealous about. It's just encouraging to see people who have some energy versus just duh. And uh, that's that's lazy and that's uh, boring and nobody's interested in that. But people who are zealous about something, even if it's not the most important thing in the world, I can appreciate that. Well, this man, Simon the Zealot, is an interesting study. And so I, I want to just mention real quick, we're going to look at some things, but um, he didn't have a lot of, to, you know, there's not a lot of information. It's not like Peter, you know, or, or James and John. You know, we don't have a whole lot of information about Simon the Zealot other than his name or his, his adjective or, or the, the thing that goes with him, the tag that you see with him. Um, <clears throat> He, he, was, he was Simeon in Hebrew, uh, most likely, and there's a lot of Simons. There's Simon Peter, there's the stepbrother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who also was, had, was named Simon. There's Simon the leper uh, that lived in Bethany. There's the Simon of Cyrene that bore the cross of Jesus when he could no longer carry it. Uh, Simon the Pharisee, and uh, Judas Iscariot's father's name was Simon. And Simon Magus, uh, the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, and Simon the Tanner, Acts chapter 9. Um, there's also two Simeons mentioned in the Bible. Simeon of Jerusalem in Luke 2, when after Jesus was born, he was one of the old people that was able to see Christ. And then Simeon, the black man from Nigeria, a pastor in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. Uh, but what you noticed, if you saw this in Matthew and Mark, when I read that to you a few minutes ago, he wasn't called Simon Zelotes or Simon the, Simon the Zealot. He was called Simon the Canaanite. Some people think, well, that means that he was a Canaanite and not a full-blooded Jew or Israelite. Um, maybe, maybe, but it could mean that, that, that it, certainly. But also, there is a Greek word translated Canaanitis that's not quite the same as the word that we get from the Hebrew, Canaanos. And uh, so what the, the Hebrew verb Cana means jealous or jealous or zealous. And so actually there's a connection to that Canaanite word term that a lot of people think probably is what that meant there. Let me just say it this way. The, the word Canaanite obviously refers to the people of Canaan, and in the Old Testament, the Canaanites were to be driven out of the land. Uh, but certainly, they were probably zealous of some things, but they were zealous of the wrong things. And so what could happen is, is that word Canaanite could then <clears throat> be tagged to an attitude or a, or a personality. For instance, Sodomite. Now, if I was to say Sodomite 4,000 years ago, people would say, oh, that's that place over there by the, you know, Jordan on the south side of the Jordan before the Dead Sea probably existed, before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But today when I say Sodomite, you know Sodom doesn't exist. And yet we know what a Sodomite is, I think. We have those in America now. And so when someone was called Canaanite in the New Testament, it was probably a reference to the type of person they were, not where they were from anymore. But it originated in the where they were from, but now it's more of a type of person. So with that in mind, we see the second tag that he had, not just Canaanite, as Matthew Mark said, but then Luke and Acts called him Zelotes, or Zealot. Zealot. The Zealots were interesting as well. Simon was a Zealot because of his zeal, his passion, enthusiasm for something. And the zealots were known, if, you, if you're not sure what, what I'm talking about here, 
there is a history book. It's not the Bible, but it was written by someone that lived 100 AD. In other words, he, he lived in that first century. He was not a Christian. He was a Jew. He lived just, you know, five decades maybe after Christ was walking the earth. His name was Josephus. Josephus was, was following along with Titus in the Roman army, army and he was, he was recording things and writing down. And so we have a lot of, according to Josephus, of course, he could have gotten some things wrong, but we have a lot of interesting history about what took place after Christ was crucified and rose again. <clears throat> and what we find is in Josephus' writings is something called the Jewish Wars. And you have something called the Maccabees. In fact, even the apocryphal books like the Catholics have in their extra books of the Bible that are not the Bible, but just extra books that we don't include, of course, in the Word of God. But the Maccabees were a people who were zealots. Um, and in fact, First Maccabees 2.50, and this is not scripture, but it's just to give you an idea. It says, be ye zealous for the law and give your lives for the covenant. And uh, you could, we would say radical, like radical jihad or, or uh, fundamentalists, okay, uh, in, in, in the tags that you hear today. Um, and interesting enough, Maccabees and, and the Maccabean, t- those people, the Maccabees after Christ left about 33 AD. Uh, Then there was about 40 years after Christ where there was just a lot of fighting and skirmish and the zealots were involved with this, the Maccabees. Remember Barabbas. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. And remember that when Jesus was being tried, Pilate tried to release Jesus because Barabbas deserved to be crucified. Why? For what he had done. And the people demanded Jesus to be crucified and Barabbas to be set free. Barabbas would have been part of this zealot. What, what am I trying to say? They were, they were the radicals, they were anarchists. They were the people who were angry because the Romans controlled Jerusalem and Judea and the nation of Israel at the time, the Jewish people. They were, of course, angry with the taxation. And I'm sure the taxation was extremely hard and probably unfair. And the zealots were desirous of getting back to the Old Testament ways, but I'll say it this way. My opinion is, and my assumption is, is that most of them weren't motivated about getting back to the Old Testament ways as much as they were getting back to the days of no taxes by the Romans. Of course, we don't have anything like that going on today. We don't have any militia groups today. Yeah, we do. And this is why we need to understand this guy a little more. Because if we're not careful, we can... Now, now, if just like today, do I think all taxes are fair? Nope. Do I think there's, there's rottenness going on? Yep. But let's, let's be aware of something. This is who Simon was. He was a zealot. He was zealous for his country. Freedom fighters dedicated to resisting the Roman occupation. Look with me in Acts chapter 5. We get little snippets of this as we read the New Testament. Now, the word of God is not written for us to focus on such negative stories like this. But it was happening at the same time. It was like a parallel you know, thing going on at the same time as the word of God and the new church was, was, was moving forward. Acts chapter 5. In the middle of this situation where Peter and the apostles 
said we need to obey God rather than men, verse 29. And Galileo, a Pharisee, Gamaliel, excuse me, a Pharisee in verse 34, stood there up one, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, and had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. He said, listen, hold on a second. Let's learn a lesson here. We're upset with these apostles teaching about this Jesus who was crucified and now is risen again. We're upset with, we're upset with them because it's upsetting us and it's, it's causing issues. But verse 35 says, let me give you some advice. He said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thudius, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. So there's one group led by this Thudius, 400 men, that rose up in, in defiance against the authority. Verse 37, and after this man rose up Judas of Galilee, this is not the same Judas Iscariot, in the days of the taxing, get it, taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. Now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. In other words, we've, we've seen these type of uprisings squashed before. And so if these apostles are part of some radical militia group like that, it's going to get destroyed. But, verse 39, listen to what he says. If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Interesting. But what we see here is that there was this type of thing going on. They were used to this. And they saw, why? Because there was so much hatred and anger and frustration with the life they were living. Imagine being a Jew and knowing at one time that David and Solomon used to rule and reign and now here you've got these Romans and their ensigns with their eagles on the banners and, and everything's Roman rule and it was and the taxation. In fact, that's the only reason why Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem is because Caesar wanted a tax. And so they were just oppressed and frustrated people. And here was Simon the Zealot who was a part of a group that wanted to get rid of the oppression and take, you know, cast it all out of Jerusalem and take back their country. Listen to me, you can be sucked up into that right now in the United States of America. See, the Bible's got stuff in there for us to read and realize, hey, this applies to me today, even though it's 2,000 years old. So, this Simon was Simon the Zealot. And he was part of this group. But you know what happened in 70 AD? Josephus wrote about this. He said in 70 AD, the Zealots, Maccabees and the people, they, they held up in a fortress called Masada. I've been there. I've walked it. It's an impressive place. Herod the Great built it. It's amazing. But they had their last stand until they got to the last two guys. And they killed, one killed the other because they were so against Rome. Now, before even Masada, they had their last stand in the temple. The, the great temple that Herod the Great had built to, to appease the Jews, way back before Jesus' day, that temple was being built. And it was the same temple that when Jesus was walking with the 12, he said, you see this? Not one stone will be left upon another. And to this day, it's true. The, 
that temple was completely destroyed. Why? Because the zealots went into the temple and used it like a fortress. And Titus and his Roman army did not want to destroy the temple. But you read Josephus, and Josephus said, there was not a lot of wood in that part of the country. They, they'd used all the wood up, and, and uh, the, the Romans were punishing the Jews who were fighting and rebelling. And they were crucifying as many Jews as they could who were rebelling against them. And Josephus said they ran out of crosses. They couldn't even make enough wood. They couldn't even find enough wood to make crosses. They were executing so many. Not only that, but Jews were killing other Jews because they were running out of food. And the zealots went into the temple and turned it into their fortress. And it, it, if you see the platform, I mean, there, there was uh, a fortress there on the same platform. And so it made a pretty good fortress for a while. But finally, and, and Titus warned them and said, get out of there, surrender, wave the white flag. They wouldn't. These zealot Jews went into the holy place. I believe that's the abomination of desolation. And Jesus warned of this. Forty years earlier, Jesus warned of this. He said, you see this great stone? And they were so impressed and so enamored by their temple. Jesus said, it's going to be destroyed. Destroy it. It will. It will be destroyed. Your house, he said, I want to gather you like a mother hen gathers chicks, and your, your house is going to be left to you desolate. And uh, the zealots went in and would not surrender, would not surrender. Finally, nobody knows for sure, but a fire was started. And, of course, olive oil was used inside that temple for decades. And it wasn't long before the fire just completely started destroying everything from the inside out. They said that the gold, of course, everything on the inside was gold. The gold started to melt, and it melted down in between the rocks, these huge, huge rocks, huge boulders and, and slabs of, of brick that they made. And the, the gold started to melt. And so when it was all said and done, all the zealots were captured and destroyed. And then the Romans, when everything cooled down, the Romans, of course, realized all that gold had melted down in there. And so they separated every rock. They separated every brick that that temple was built with so that Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled that not one stone would be touching another stone. And Titus lamented this because he, he didn't want to destroy it. It was, it was beautiful. But that, the real reason why it happened is the rebellion. Now, you say, they shouldn't have rebelled against the Romans. And, and to this day, the people are very proud. In fact, when I was there at Masada, I, I overheard a mother who was Jewish talking to her sons in, in, in English. And she was telling, rehearsing the story of the Maccabees and dying on Masada and all that. And she was encouraging her sons, we need to fight like that and die. You know why that happened? Because someone 40 years ago said, I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks and you would not. And your house is left unto you desolate. And Simon Zealot, the zealot, was a part of that group until he got saved. Simon the zealot had that kind of zeal and was part of that. I believe he was part of that. By the way, if you notice something as we read, Acts is the only exception, but as you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you read all 12 names, and what you'll notice is you get Simon the Zealot, and then the next guy after that 
is who? Judas Iscariot. See, I think there's personalities hang around each other. And I think even at the beginning, Simon probably realized Jesus has so much ability, we could use him to take back our country. And I know Judas thought the same thing. The difference between the two men is this, though. Simon the Zealot, and here's my message tonight, Simon the Zealot became zealous for something else. But Judas Iscariot never did. But I think that they are listed together because they probably hung out, they probably understood each other better. For instance, think about this. If you're Simon the Zealot, or Judas Iscariot, how well did you appreciate Matthew the tax collector? Funny, isn't it? Funny how Jesus picks tax collector, zealot. Let's all get together and be one little church family. Listen, I do believe with all my heart that's how God really does things. There, there's something suspicious about a church where everybody's the same. It's comfortable. Human nature says, I want someone to be like me. That's why. Because we already agree with each other. You rub me the right way, I rub you. But it's not comfortable when we don't agree with each other and we are different. But I believe real church, from the Bible perspective, God's church puts us together with uncomfortable situations to help us to see where we're missing stuff and learn to appreciate one another in ways we wouldn't have otherwise. And here's the good news. Simon the Zealot would have died a loser like those other guys 40 years later. And probably Simon, had he lived a natural life, he, he was crucified, by the way. According to tradition, Simon the Zealot was crucified because he was a preacher, not because he was a zealot. But Simon the Zealot would have died a loser with all those other Maccabees had he not turned to the Lord. And I just want to help you understand that there's a zeal that is wrong and there's a zeal that is right. Look with me in Romans chapter 10. The, the Jews, the defiant Jews were so angry. Of course, these apostles, they were Jews, but they got saved, see? They were born again. Their lives were changed. Romans chapter 10, here's what Paul says. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear, bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about, by the way, who is God's righteousness? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. They being ignorant of Christ and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The zealots aren't going to get righteousness by obeying the law and being zealous of the law and dying and giving our lives for the law and the covenant. No, they need to turn to Christ. And the, the message hasn't changed in 2,000 years. They have to turn to the Lord. Even the Orthodox Jews and rabbis today have to turn to the Lord. And that goes the same for any radical jihadists or Muslims or, or whoever or any other fundamental groups that you can think of. See, you can be zealous for God and still be wrong. By the way, the person who wrote this was very zealous for God at one time. His name was Saul, and he persecuted the Christians. 
In fact, Saul and Simon the Zealot would have had some things in common. But understand this, and I won't have you turn there, but John 18, 36, when Jesus was standing before Pilate after he'd been captured and taken in, and he's standing before Pilate, Jesus said, and here's the message that Simon the Zealot got and figured it out. Listening to Jesus and following Jesus, his heart humbled, his heart changed, a believer in Christ and willing to die for Christ instead of for his country at one time. He died for Jesus instead of for his country. And here's what Jesus said to Pilate, and I guarantee you Jesus said it to Simon. My kingdom is not of this world. Because if my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. See, the reason why they didn't change his name, you know, they didn't say, Simon, they used to be zealot. The reason why they still call him Simon the Zealot is because he was before he got there. And guess what? He was still, but he was zealous for something different. He was zealous for a different kingdom. He was zealous for the kingdom of God. And understand, not the kingdom they thought was God's, but the right kingdom, the kingdom through Christ. See, there can be a wrong cause in your zealousness. And nobody knew that better than Saul who wrote the book of Romans. Many can be involved in wicked causes that are zealous. Um, I, I totally, uh, I don't remember who I was talking to about this, but the word Allah, it means God in Arabic. They're talking about who they think God is, just like they're zealous for their God. And most everybody you know, they're zealous. There's people in our town that are zealous for their God or their religion or whatever it might be. There are people who are zealous... There's all kinds of things that people get excited and zealous about. But zeal alone doesn't make you saved. We just read Romans chapter 10. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In Acts 22 and verse 3, Paul said, I was zealous above my fellows, above my countrymen. I was zealous for the things of God, but I found out I was zealous, but I was wrong. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. In Galatians chapter number 1 and verse 4, we'll just look at that one. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 and then also chapter 4. But Galatians chapter 1 and, excuse me, verse 14, not 4. Galatians 1, 14, this is what Paul said. And I profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. He said in Philippians chapter 3, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I wasn't just a Pharisee. I was, a, I mean, I was fundamental about what I believed. And I was very serious. But I was sincerely wrong. And I count all that as, as dung. He said, I, I, was, I used to be proud of, of, of my accomplishments and, and maybe the little badges that he wore on his chest or something. But I realized that's all counted as dung that I may win Christ. I was zealous for the wrong things. He even says this in Galatians chapter 4 in verse number 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. You could say it this way. Zealous is kind of like fanatic. The, the word fan, football fan, baseball fan, you get that from fanatic. There are people, you know, you've seen it. They take off their shirt, they paint their great big fat bellies some color, and they stand in front of a TV camera and go, Aah! because they're excited about 
their football team or something. We say, well, that's a fanatic. Yeah, that's a football fan. They're a fanatic. And there are people who are fanatics, but they're wrong in what they're fanatic about. Verse 18. So it's zealously affected you, verse 18, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. There's nothing wrong with being zealous about a good thing, a good cause, the right cause. But your zeal alone doesn't save you. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said, depart from, they said, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name and do wonderful works? And didn't, don't you remember? And he'll say, depart, I never knew you. And that would have been Simon and that would have been Saul had they not gotten saved. Because they were, they thought they were being, they thought that persecuting the Christians was helping God's religion. They didn't realize Jesus Christ was God. They were anti-Christ at the time. Christians can be caught up in the wrong things as well. Zealous over a false doctrine. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Don't get fooled into something false. People get caught up in all kinds of goofy things and ideas and get zealous about something that isn't right, isn't edifying. That brings us uh, to the next thing I want to mention, and that is zealous and flaunting what they think is their perceived spirituality. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14. What do I mean by that? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14. We need to be careful about this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And so... We need to remember that no matter how good or how awesome you seem to be or you have all these gifts of prophecy and knowledge or whatever, if you forget to edify, what good is it? In chapter 14, let's look at it together. Chapter 14, verse 12, and it says this, Even so ye, for as much as ye were zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Even back then, there was a problem. And if you want to read the whole chapter 14, the problem was speaking in tongues. Let me just quickly say it this way. In the early days of the church, before the Bible was complete, God allowed people to have a special ability to speak in tongues and to interpret tongues. Acts chapter 2, Peter got up and preached. And what was amazing about it is everybody that heard him heard him in their own language. God did instant translation right there on the spot. And it was tongues it was Peter preaching in one language and God allowing it to be heard in their own language as it was. Remember who invented tongues in the first place? It was God at the Tower of Babel. And so even back then, what was starting to happen was people who could speak in tongues and people who could interpret were becoming kind of popular and wow, that's an amazing gift. And people, wow, what a gift you have. And Paul was starting to say, hold on. Your gift is of no value and doesn't do any good if it doesn't build up the church. If it doesn't edify, it would. He said in the same passage of chapter fourteen, he said, "I'd rather speak five words in my own language than a thousand words in some unknown tongue that anyone could hear." It's gotten so bad today that now there are people who supposedly speak in tongues and nobody's getting anything out of it, other than "Wow, that looks exciting!" And I think all of us know some story or case, or maybe even know somebody who's involved in a 
church like that. Blah, blah, blah. And they're saying all kinds of stuff. Look, the point of the tongues, if you read the scripture and pay attention, the point of the tongues was to get the gospel out in a hurry. To, to, to just forget the translating part of it. Not, not so that we can go, wow, they're so spiritual. And so you can be zealous in something and it not be edifying. Edifying means it doesn't build up anyone. For instance, if Bob stood up right now and said, Yamaha, Suzuki, Kawasaki, and started just saying all kinds of weird words, and be like, and, and, and you know, someone would go, oh, he's under the spirit. But nobody really got anything out of that. That goes on in churches right now. You all know I'm talking truth here. That's happening right now in our county, in our town. Kevin Byer, who I mentioned a minute ago, whose wife passed away, he, he told a story years ago. He was talking to a lady, and, and she said, I got baptized in this Pentecostal charismatic church, and um, they, they put me under, they brought me back out, and they said, do you feel the Spirit? And, and, and she was honest. She said, no. So they put me back down under, they brought me back out. Do you feel them? And, and she's, no. And about the third or fourth time, she thought, I'm going to drown. If I don't say something, I'm going to drown. So they brought her back up, and she went, blah, and everybody cheered and she's like it was so fake I knew it was fake I know of another story where there was a fellow from somewhere like Swahili you know they spoke Swahili you know way out in Africa somewhere and uh, he said I'm really doubting what's going on in my church what's going on in our meeting I'm, I'm, I'm really having my doubts you're a missionary you know I want you to because because what was happening is someone got and someone's telling them and, and make an interpretation, but the interpretation was fraud. So I, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand up and I want you to say, "Oh, McDonald had a farm in Swahili." And so his friend stood up and went blah and said, "Oh, McDonald had a farm in Swahili" or whatever it was. And the interpreter stood up and made up some story. And they both looked at each other and said, "We're out of here." Don't think that doesn't go on. See, there's a lot of people that are very zealous about religion. And while that's funny, it's quite sad. It's sad because there are people today that grew up seeing that and and they say, I want nothing to do with church. There are people today that will tell you, yeah, my, my mom, my dad, my grandma, whoever, I could see... They could shout, blah, 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 and say all this stuff and swing from the chandeliers, whoa, and they were in the spirit, blah, blah, blah. And by Tuesday, they were filthy wicked. You can be zealous for the wrong things, and Satan doesn't really, Satan doesn't really care what you're zealous for as long as it's not the truth, as long as it's not Jesus. And so we need to be careful. And we can even, as you go with me to, um, well, let's not turn there. Let's just wait a minute. We'll go to Psalm 119. But as we go to Psalm 119, you can even be zealous for something that is a good thing but really isn't a good thing. For instance, that same chapter of John 18, when I said that Jesus stood before Pilate in verse 36, and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world because if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom's not of this world. That's why my servants aren't fighting for this right now. That was verse 36. Verse 10 of John 18, one of his apostles pulled out a sword and tried to swipe a guy's head off, and the guy ducked and it knocked his ear off. 
and Jesus said, put the sword away. That was Peter. Peter was very zealous for Jesus. Peter was wrong. So why? Well, first of all, Jesus had to die on the cross. That was God's will. In fact, Jesus told Peter and the others, I'm going to die. And Peter was actually fighting against God's will. So, but, but can you blame him? I mean, they're trying to take Jesus. Yeah, you can be zealous and still wrong. Be careful what you're zealous for. But let's look at some biblically directed zeal, some good zeal. Psalm 119, verse 139 and 140. Psalm 119, verse 139. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. You can't get too zealous about the Bible. Acts 17.11 says that the Bereans were more noble than the people in Thessalonica because the Berean Christians searched the scriptures daily. They just read the word of God every day. Job 23, Job said, I esteem the words of God more than my necessary food. That's good zeal. That's good zealous. You can't get too zealous for the word of God. People will say, oh, they're too radical of a Christian. Funny how it's okay to stand in the stadium with your belly exposed, painted blue, and, and they're like, oh, they're just a football fan. That's not too radical. But if someone reads their Bible every day or goes to church more than once a week or actually acts like that God, people say, they're just, they, they, t- they take that Bible too seriously. No, no, they're zealous for a good thing. Zealous in prayer. Last Sunday morning I was teaching about earnest prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Colossians 4.12, 1 Thessalonians 3.10, 2 Timothy 1.3. It talks about people praying for other saints morning and evening, just praying for them, praying to God, zealous in prayer. I don't think you can pray too much unless God's told you not to pray for that anymore. How about Psalm 122? We're right there. So Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You can't be too zealous for the, for the house of God. Psalm 69 and verse number 9 says, for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. I appreciate you being here tonight and I realize it's warm and it's, It's cold outside, warm inside, and some of us are tired, but I'm thankful that you're here, and I'm thankful that you're zealous for the house of God. And some of you have been here for several hours now, working with the young people that were here earlier. Some of you have been here since 9 o'clock this morning, zealous for the house of God. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You can't get too zealous. But people will say, oh, they're, they're radical. They're saying that because they're basing it on everybody else they know. How about zealous in giving? You know, the Bible talks about people who are, they're just, God loveth a cheerful giver. They're excited. The idea of just to be exciting to, to give to the things of God. And uh, he which soweth sparingly are gonna, is going to reap also sparingly. But he which soweth bountifully will reap also bountifully, excited about giving. And then zealous of good works. Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 See, what I believe is that Simon the Zealot used to be zealous about an antichrist nation 
who just wanted to be free from taxes of Rome but had no interest in the things of Christ. Can I tell you something? I think I just described the tea party. Remember that? I don't disagree with a lot of what the tea party stands for. And if you're a part of that, I'm not saying you're wrong for being a part of that. Here's my problem with it, though. Back when George Washington was alive, back when our revolution was taking place, I do believe that there were godly men who were praying, and I, and I know there's a lot of people that doubt it, but I, I agree with the picture we have out in the foyer that George Washington was praying on his knees in the snow at Valley Forge. And I do believe that there were leaders, not all of them, but I do believe we have many of our American founding fathers that were Christ-honoring and Christ-respecting uh, people and, and several who were born-again Christians. And I believe they weren't just fighting for taxation without representation. They were fighting for the freedom to have religion. The first amendment in the Bill of Rights was dear to them more important to them than the second. That's why it's first. And today, what I believe is, I believe we have a lot of zealots who are right about the politics. They're right about a lot of things they're saying. But when they get their freedom back, you know, restore it back to the days of whoever, Reagan or even back to, you know, I don't know, 100 years ago or whatever, I'm not convinced that their motive is to get back to God, to back to Christ. Let's be careful of that. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not a fatalist. I'm not enthusiastic about America going down instead of up. But here's what I'm saying. His kingdom is my kingdom. In fact, he said, This is how you're supposed to pray. Thy kingdom come. Is that that how the zealots in America are praying? This is how you as a Bible believer are supposed to pray. Thy kingdom, and, and what did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. What made America great? was never a greater Christian nation than America. Barack Obama's wrong. And in God we trust was a true thing. But what I, I see us focusing on now is the price of fuel and the unfair taxes and all the other things that zealots are right about. But that's not going to get you the blessing of God. And if God wants to bless us again, it's going to be when we turn our hearts to him, not just to the Constitution. And you can be overly zealous for good things, but it might not be the right thing. But when you're zealous about the word of God and prayer and the church and 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 giving we have 45 missionaries but how many of those missionaries do you support 
and, and local outreach and, 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 and the spread of the word locally. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. It doesn't say a popular people. I'm very much leery of the popular Christianity that's being promoted today. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not trying to be peculiar. But if you follow Jesus Christ and his Bible, you're going to be peculiar. We live in a world today where you, you are just an angry white man if you think homosexuality is a sin. We live in a world today where if you actually think that men are supposed to be head of the home, you are a bigot and some old-fashioned freak. I don't think I'm supposed to be the head of the home because I'm a male. I think I'm supposed to be head of the home because my God said I'm supposed to be. That's all. I'm supposed to lead my family by example. And so you and I are the peculiar ones when we follow Jesus. But notice, don't, don't forget this. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I'm so glad it says that. Because it, it reminds us that, yep, this is, the world that, this is the world we're dealing with, but this is just the present world. It's not the only world. There's a new one coming. And we might look weird now. We might be peculiar now. But don't forget, they laughed at Noah when he was building the ark. Noah was very peculiar. He spent all that time building this huge boat. And they made, they didn't make Pollock jokes back then. They made Noah jokes. Until it started raining. And zealous for one another. Zealous for each other, for other saints, for other Christians, for other believers. We're zealous for each other and, and the desire to see them encouraged and growing and strengthened. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15. That ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth us and laboreth. I'm sorry, I'm in I'm in first, yeah, 1 Corinthians. I got myself confused here. 1 Corinthians 16, I read verse 16. Let me read verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, that's a region in the Middle East, in the Mediterranean, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Mrs. Slagle's always taking care of Pastor Matt. Mrs. Slagle doesn't realize Pastor Matt doesn't need any more popcorn. She just keeps giving Pastor Matt popcorn because she knows he likes it. I'm so glad that she has that popcorn ministry. It's a blessing. Listen, when you are zealous, you are addicted to the ministry. In other words, you're just addicted to serving other people. 
It's just part of what you do. You just love to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of zeal. People are excited. And the young people, there's a young girl that, that had a birthday recently, and she said, Pastor Matt, look at these earrings that somebody in the church gave me. And she mentioned the person's name. And she said, do you know how much these earrings cost? And I thought, I don't know. And she turned over the back, and there's one of those suggested retail price, you know. And right next to it, it said, laboratory-created diamond earrings. In other words, glass and piece of, you know, pot, you know, pot metal. Probably 10 bucks at Walmart. I don't know. She said, they spent $74.98 on these earrings. Now, that person didn't lie to her. I don't even think they knew that that tag was underneath. But that girl was so thrilled that somebody cared about her. Listen, that is a blessing to be ministering to others, to, to care and to be thoughtful, zealous toward the saints. And Paul many times said, I'm just so thankful for your, your service toward me. But then also zealous for the purity of the church. Look at Revelation chapter 3. I'm almost done. Revelation chapter 3. In verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Let me just say this, and hopefully you understand. You heard this expression. You need to understand it. You ever get your toes stepped on? You ever get your toes stepped on at church? And we all know what that means. Okay? Listen. As many as I, what's the next word? As many as I love, I rebuke. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. It's important that we keep the church pure. You don't need to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there was disciplinary action that was mentioned. And they were, the Corinthians were zeal, the, the, zealous about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, it was a, an incest that was going on. A man had taken his father's widow. It was, it was just incense, incest. And, and so there was rebuke and there was chastening that needed to be done. It was wrong. It was, it was wicked. And it needed to be dealt with. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says, and you guys were zealous about taking care of business and getting the leaven out, purge out the leaven, getting rid of it. And what, what we're saying here is a pastor is supposed to say, hey, there's error going on here. We need to get rid of it. Now, what's the goal? The goal of discipline in the church is not to kick people out. The goal of discipline in the church is to get the sin out. So Jesus gave us an order. He said, you go to them privately and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one and see if they'll deal with it privately. Then you take someone else with you and talk to them again. And then, if they won't listen, you go before the church. Sometimes us pastors don't do it right. That compounds the problem. But the goal is not to see people leave, but to see the sin get out. 
And if people leave because they don't want to stay, I guess the sin gets out if they are the ones that are wrong. But it's sad that they had to leave. But you know why there's so much junk in, in our churches today? Because there's no purity. I'm not a shining example of what I'm saying, but I'll tell you this. Our church and its purity is extremely important to me because I'm going to give an account for it. Norman will not stand before God and God say, Norman, why didn't Mountain View Baptist Church do this? Because Norman wasn't the leader. But Matt Furs will. And I, I will stand before God and give an account. You won't give an account for my family, but I will. You'll give an account for your family if you're the leader of it. And you will all give an account for yourselves. <clears throat> and so we have to be zealous about purity. And here's what's happening. There are so many people who want a pastor who isn't pure. Because if he's not pure, if his family's not pure, it lets me off the hook. He's never going to preach on that sin because I know he's got that stuff going on. And that's what's happening. And Jeremiah says, they prophesy falsely and my people love to have it so. So when you see a, a pastor and you see a church that's, that's serious about what they're doing and they're, and they're very conscientious about making sure that they're, and, and, and maybe their standard's a little too squeaky, but they're serious for a good, they're zealous for the right cause. Be careful that you don't spit on that. Because I promise you, for every one that's trying to do that, there's a million doing it the wrong way. And they're all about numbers and popularity. I'm over time. But let me just say this as we close tonight. Being zealously affected for a good thing is, is a good thing. It's a good cause. It's a good thing. My dad, before he was saved... My dad had a motto. If you're going to do it, do it 110%. My dad went from the last string on the football team in Washington State to first string on the football team. Because that was how he just lived his life, man. Do it. And, and if, you, if you knew him in his younger years, that's just his personality. And you're going to do it, do it. And, and, when it, when it comes to ordering food, bigger is better. And we, we just let, when it comes, I mean, if you want one, he'll get you two. I mean, just whatever you do, you do it 110%. And there's some crazy stuff. My dad used to be in business, and I mean, he was, and his goal was to be a millionaire. This was back in the 70s when a million dollars was money. And his goal was to be a millionaire. And I think he would have got there, but God saved him, and then God started changing his heart. And he no longer was zealous about business. But he was still the same guy. And he started giving himself 110% for a different cause. And I want to encourage you tonight. Always, always be glad for zealous people. And pray that that zeal goes towards the right thing. Recognize there's some good people out there that are very zealous. But man, if we could point that zealous in the right direction. And if it's, it's comical that Jesus would have said, Matthew, tax collector, I want you to follow me. And uh, Simon, 
Simon the Zealot, you're going to follow me too. And your zeal is going to change. And you're going to fight for a different country, a heavenly country. And you, you're going to stop being selfish and collecting money for yourself and for the Roman government. You're going to preach the gospel. And you too are going to get along. And they're going to appreciate each other. God delights in that. And we serve best when we're forced to serve alongside those who are opposite and different than our own preferences. And God makes us better than our own noble, zealous cause was capable of doing. God says, you know what? You've got a zeal and you want to do good things, but I want to focus that on my kingdom. And praise God for zealous Christians. And what a shame for all the zealous Democrats and zealous moderates and zealous liberals and zealous filthy selfish people that are out there. What a shame. But praise God for the zealous Christians. Praise God for the zealous Christians who are focused on not just this world or their kingdom, but on his kingdom. So I think that's why Simon the Zealot didn't get his name changed. He just got his focus changed. He's still Simon the Zealot. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for opportunity tonight. Help us to be zealous like Simon, not for the wrong cause and the wrong target, but help us to be zealous for the right target. May we, first of all, be saved, of course. If there is anyone in here not saved, we pray that they would have an understanding and eyes open. And then may we, more importantly, be after salvation is to realize that we need to be focused on your kingdom, not ours. That we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That we recognize that good things can become bad things if they keep me from the best things. And so help us to focus on the very best. Help us to be zealous about church, zealous about your word, zealous about people, zealous about what you are zealous about. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.